Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. Uh, I was on a trip years ago. I'm probably going to mess this up, but, but every year we get the chance to go on a, uh, on a, on a family vacation, and, and we'll go down with with Jerry and Wanda and the family, and, and it's just been this incredible thing we've done over the last decade. Uh, typically, we go down to the Orange Beach area. Has anybody gone down to Orange Beach before? That's cool. <laughs> 13 of you. That was great. So we, uh, we're down at Orange Beach. It's awesome. We're in a house, and, and this was right after, I think it was just uh, my oldest daughter had been born. Maybe the twins were there too. I'll, I'll, I'll say the twins were there because It'll add to how cool I am in the story. But, but we're here in Orange Beach, and there's just kind of this real laid-back vibe, and we're enjoying it. We're resting. We're refueling, and, and it's awesome. And eating good fish sandwiches, it's, it's great. And all of a sudden, one day, it comes up that, that, that there's going to be a fishing trip happening. And we go, man, I'm like kind of thinking in the back of my head, like, that'll be awesome. I can't wait to go fishing. It's going to be so exciting. And then I realized quickly that Amanda wants to go fishing, which leaves me to babysit, I'll say our three kids, it might have just been one. <clears throat> and so all of a sudden, what? Oh, it was three, okay. So yeah, there you go. But so I've got the three kids and I'm just there to serve and lay my life down, husbands take note. And I'm laying my life down for my wife and she goes out deep sea fishing with the family. And so I'm there. It's her first time ever. She's super excited about it. And, and you know, I'm just, you know, kind of laying on the sword, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make her pay for that later. That's okay. But, but I've got the kids at home. We're at the beach house. It's not so bad. Uh, but she takes off. And so they're gone. And I don't want to over-exaggerate it. I'm sure it, was, it wasn't like a, a huge trip. I think they were supposed to go out for like four hours or something. Uh, you know, so I was acting like they were leaving for a week. But but the whole point was she was going out fishing. The day goes on, and it's really laid back. The kids are fine. We're at the beach. There's a pool. There's like, you know, how bad can it be? And about lunchtime, I'm starting in my head to think, she'll be here any time now. She's going to be coming back soon. Uh, it'll be great. She'll have kid duty. I'll be able to do whatever I want. It's going to be perfect. And then all of a sudden, like, she doesn't, they don't show back up. And we start calling, and we start texting, and we start calling, and we start texting, and and nobody's picking up, and nobody's answering, and nobody's responding. And so, you know, just your wife's out in the middle of the ocean. You got three kids. You're just wondering, you know, it's like, okay, I've seen Jaws a lot. Like, <clears throat> I'm not going to get too panicked, too fast. And, and then all of a sudden we call, and we call the, 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 the harbor master. And the harbor master goes, yeah, we haven't heard from him either, and we can't reach him on the radio. <sighs> and so I'm like the, you know, I'm a youth pastor at the time, but I, I acted like I was the pope, you know. I'll bring spiritual clarity here. It will be fine. God is on the throne. And internally, I'm turning backflips going, oh my gosh, what if she got eaten by Jaws? Like, this is so bad. And, and immediately, in a moment from like, okay, we're going out, you know, I'm here, we're hanging out, laid back, everything's chill. As soon as I don't have certainty where my wife is, everything, every bad, every, every potential, every negative, every worrisome thought that could possibly go through my mind flooded in at that very moment. As soon as certainty went out the window, fear took over. 
And I began to get nervous and scared. And, and oh my gosh, what if she, what if she is gone? What, what's going to happen? And, and where is she? And like, I can't get to her and there's no way to find her. And like the ocean's so big and I don't even have a boat. And like, what am I going to do? And, and all of a sudden, you know, a few minutes later, a text comes through and says, hey, boat broke down, be home late. And I realized in that moment, like, wow, you really spun out of control fast. I need to go see a therapist or something. So it turns out that I think, you know, Jaws is literally eating them at that moment. And they actually are just out there. The, the, you know, the captain's like, I don't know, transmission blue, better go shark fishing. So they're out there just fishing, having the time of their life. They get back. Everything's great. And I'm like, I've been on an emotional roller coaster all day. What is going on with you? I feel like an old mom, you know, this kid came home to like, how dare you worry me like that? I just needed to get it off my chest. The truth of the matter, though, is I see that story as a real embodiment of what's happening in our world today. In the absence of certainty, fear has taken over. In the absence of certainty, I'll do it. But we have abandoned the idea of faith. I heard it said last week that, that we have so made uh, certainty an idol that we have foregone faith altogether. We have made certainty in our culture and in our world, in our churches, an absolute idol. We demand it and therefore we, we struggle because we'll never have it. You have never been certain of anything a day in your life. I promise you, we're not certain that like anything is happening. It is by faith alone that we survive and live. And yet, because we live in a microwave world where everything is as we want it, when we want it, how we want it, we have applied a broken world view into a perfect God. And it doesn't make sense. It, it, it fractures and is broken because we can't apply this broken view of demanding certainty. You don't, we don't have 100% certainty about anything, and yet we have applied it and gone, I have to know exactly what's going to happen. Or else what? Fear invades. Worry, anxiety. 40 million people are diagnosed in America today of suffering from anxiety. And I can tell you right now, I'm not diagnosed, but every now and then I get anxious. Why? Because I have allowed this, this lie of certainty to become something that I focus on and long for. And when I don't have it, when I don't know where she is, I get terrified. I get worried and afraid because I don't know what's gonna happen. What if, and that's all I've heard this week, what if, what if, what if, what if I get COVID? What if I get the vaccine? What if I don't get the vaccine? What if I lose my job? What if God is still on the throne? What if he told us that hard times would come? What if he promised us that even in the hardest times he would be there? What if he said he'd never leave you or forsake you? 
What if he, he promised the tribulations would come, but he had overcome them? What if he can give you a future and a hope, even if it doesn't look like it in your current circumstances? You see, the truth of the matter is we have allowed this fear to rush in and reorient us and start to reorient the way we think about God himself when we need to return to this book and start asking the hard questions. What if this book is true? Because if it is, then that means fear is a liar. And we need to repent, turn, go back to the way God has made us the way he intended life to be lived. And I believe in the sovereignty of God that as we have been tracking through the book of 1 John, it is no surprise to me that this is the text that we arrive to today. 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 19. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You see, beloved, it is my belief that, that, that God in his sovereign nature knows, hey, they're going to be working through this book, and on this week when things seem to be at a fever pitch, when everything's going on and everybody's worried and everybody's afraid and everybody's turned upside down and backwards, and I'm not telling you that this hasn't affected me. I'm saying we all need to hear this word from God today because God knew that on this week, that on this day, we would need to address the epidemic of fear in our church. And he said, it has no place. Spoiler alert. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not allowed. It's not a part of what his plan is for your life. So every moment we give to it, every moment we succumb to it, every moment we ponder on it is every moment we have been stolen from, lied to, and taken advantage of. It, is, it doesn't belong in your life. And somehow, some way, by the grace of God alone, we can have victory over it. And a church that could walk in the, in the, in the calling and the anointing, walk in the, in the purposes where fear has no place, can actually be in a position to love people and the world in a way that it needs more than ever. But it starts with this. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. You see, I want to note something that that in a time in our world where everything seems to be spun around, you get the byproduct of your action, right? We, we, we get to kind of get the wheels start spinning in our head. And, 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 and the truth is, is we think whatever I do, and there's some merit to this, whatever I do, I will get the byproduct. You know, reap what you sow. Like that's, that's true. But we also have to remember that that there is something about this idea that, that we have to go, man, sometimes if we want to experience 
God's best for us, we need to get our, God, our eyes off of us. You see what I'm saying? So, so we've got to realize that in a moment where we want to cast fear and anxiety out of our life, it starts not by us looking inward and going, okay, how am I doing? What am I doing to succeed? How am I doing all the right things? Am I giving enough? Am I praying enough? Am I attending enough? Am I singing loud enough? A am, I, am I serving enough? Am I loving enough? Am I doing enough? It says nothing about you. In fact, it says what? Know and believe the love God has for you, not the love you have for God. And so if you want to start understanding how to, how to cast fear out, you've got to stop looking at the broken things in your life and start looking at the one who can take the, that which is broken and make it right. We've got to reorient our, 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 our eyes and reorient what we're focused on and looking at and, and, and beholding. And it says that we have to know it and believe it. You see, you have to know, which means you have to learn the truth. You have to understand the word. You have to read the story. You have to understand what it says. But then it also says you, it's not just enough to know about him. You've got to believe it. It's got to descend the 18 inches or whatever it is from the brain to the heart. It, it has to become something that I don't just go, yeah, I've heard that story. I, 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 I know that's true. It has to be something that we actually believe in. It has to be something that we, we actually changes the way we live our life. And when we start to go, man, I, I know, I've read, like, like, if you don't read this book, how, how do you know? Well, I attend church, like, I, we don't spend enough time here for me to tell you everything in this book. So you gotta know, and then you gotta believe. And when you know and believe the love he has for you, it starts to, to break down that fear. It starts to break down that. So, so you go, wait a second. If I know and believe that God is for me and not against me, that he has plans and purposes for my life, that he'll never leave me or forsake me, that, 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 that he is bigger and his ways are higher than my ways, and that he sits on the throne, that, that he is Lord of all the earth, and that nothing can happen outside the will of his, of his hands. Then if you lose your job for standing for what you believe in, don't you know he's good? Don't you know he's faithful? Why would we take that, that belief and go, well, if, if this happens, I'm probably going to be jobless forever. And what if he just had a better job? What if he just had a better place to live? What if he just had something bigger, something better, and he needed to kick your butt out of the comfortable to get you into the cold? And so we've got to go, wait a second. We've got to know and believe who he is. Why? So that can start to generate some faith to go, if I lose it, I'll find another. If, I, if, I, if, he, if this is not going to work out, I'll get the next. He'll give me everything that I need. Why? Because he clothes the lilies of the field. And if they don't have to store up in storehouses, why should I? You see, I have to know it and believe it's true in order for me to start combating fear and anxiety and worry. And step two, it says God is love. 
And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So first you have to look upon him, behold him, focus on him, and then it takes it a step further and it says you need to abide in him. That word abide is not something we walk around talking about. You know, this weekend I was just kind of abiding at my house. (laughs) It's not really language we use regularly, so what is it? Mean Well, John, again, is the one who kind of interprets the text for us. In John 1, 15, it says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is actually Jesus himself talking in the Gospel of John. And so Jesus is interpreting this for us. He's saying, hey, you want to talk about how to abide You want to talk about God is love and we need to abide in that love? What does that look like? Well, it looks like we are a branch and he is the vine. And in our culture, in our world, the society's pressure that's bearing down on you, being a branch on someone else's vine just doesn't fit. Do you hear what I'm saying? Everything about our world says, no, you got to be, you got to get rooted. You got to be the vine. You got to produce. You got to do. You got to do it. And everything about what Jesus is saying is, no, I'm the vine. My father's the vine dresser. You're simply a branch. What do branches do to exist? Stay connected. Hang on. Right? Is the branch's job to produce the fruit? No, it's to hold it. Is the, is, the, is the branch's job to reach down in the soil and get the nutrients? The branch's job is just to be the branch, to advance the will of the vine through its life so that someone else can enjoy the fruit. You want to learn how to abide, learn how to slow down and stop working so hard. Learn how to slow down and start existing with him, asking him, what, do, what is your will for my Like how many of us honestly get up in the morning and say, God, what is your will for my life today? And say it with an actual meaning of going, I would do anything he tells me in that moment. None of us do. Really? You go, no, I really do. And it's like, well, okay, have you ever taken off work because he said to take off work? Well, I knew he wanted me to go to, I mean, it doesn't matter, Okay. Don't judge me. (laughs) We got to start living like branches, rooted in the vine. We don't have to make it happen. Abiding is staying connected to the place that actually has life. Branches that stay connected, though, in the due season, right, will get pruned. And I think so many times we assume that the pruning process, the, the, the process where we get cut back in order to grow further, the, the process of us getting refined and, and getting shaped and getting reformed, like right, that hurts, that's painful, that's a part of it. And in the due season of getting pruned, we need to not mistake that for getting forsaken. Because sometimes we're getting pruned and we're thinking he's clipping us off from the life source. No, that's not true. He's just cutting you back so that you can grow further, so that you can do more, so you you can see clearer, and so that fruit will come. And this is a hard truth. 
and we've got to face it head on and run into it. You know, I heard somebody explain this the other day, and they said, you know the difference between cows and buffaloes? And I went, I mean, the shape, <laughs> the name, <laughs> I don't know, what, which part are you talking about? And we're like, okay, shut up. <laughs> they said cows, when they see a storm coming in a field, run the other way. They avoid the storm. And they end up staying in the storm longer because the storm always catches up and it rains all over them and blah, blah, blah. But a buffalo sees the storm and runs straight to the eye of it because they know when I can get to the other side, the faster I can get out of the rain. And that's a fascinating truth. And I'm not saying that we should all just, let's go get buffaloes tattooed on our arms, but... I am saying that we need to face hard truths head on and step into them instead of running from them. The truth of the matter is this is a hard truth. If your life is not producing fruit, it could be that you're not connected to the vine. You might attend church. You might read your Bible. You might pray. You might do all these things. But if the fruit of God's spirit is not a byproduct of your life, it could be that you're not connected and you need to get connected. And so we can't let that go, oh, well, I'm angry and I'm running out of here and he said, I'm not a Christian. I'm saying you're not connected. What is fruit? Galatians 5.22, we, we've read this in kids' church. We've read it all over, but if you've never been to kids' church, that's okay, I hadn't either. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here's where I'm not going to let you off easy. Some of you go, I got two of those. <laughs> I'm really good at two of them. This is a common misconception about the fruits of the Spirit. It's not saying pick and choose which ones you want to work on right now. It's saying try to have all of them at the same time because that's the fruit of God's Spirit. You want to talk about real fruit? You talk about seeing all of those things in action at one time. That's the fruit of God's Spirit. And if we don't have it, or we're living in a way where our life is producing something besides it, it's not that we should go, oh my God, what do I do? It's that we should go to God and say, oh my God, I need more of you. I need to get with you. I need to be around you. I need to see you. I need to connect with you. Because right now, today, this isn't a salvation problem. It's a life problem. I'm just not connected to the vine right now. And so the byproduct of my life is fear and anxiety and worry and drama and intensity and, and, and anger and resentment and bitterness and fear and drama and anger. And, and, and it just keeps going and you need to pause reconnect and go, God, shape me today. This is not something that's going to take an exorbitant amount of time. It's not something that's going to just be, oh my God, well, I got to go through a 19-week lesson about how to get reconnected. No. Turn your eyes upon him and ask that he would change your heart and watch how he meets you there, invites you close, holds you deeply, and loves you. 
You see, God doesn't need you right now. God doesn't need you to, to work harder. He doesn't need you to act better. He doesn't need you to advocate from the rooftops his will for the world. He needs you to abide in him and let him do whatever he wants through you. And, and we need to go, hey, I got to step back, make sure I'm connected to the right place, and let that fear start to go away. Let's keep going. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You see, pruning a branch that's rooted in the vine, that has focus on the right person, that's resulting in love being perfected, it creates boldness in us. I've told you guys before, but boldness, it, it, this word, it, it doesn't mean just being mean, it doesn't mean just being offensive. In fact, it's actually a, 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 a about singing. It's bold it's to be loud and out of tune. I'm not going to sing. I thought about singing. It wouldn't take much for me to be loud and out of tune. But to be bold is to be, to be kind of audacious. It's this, this visual I've got with this is the idea of, you know, if we're all hanging out in here, you know, we're talking and we're all trying to be Sunday appropriate. It's really sweet. And everybody kind of, you know, hey, Pastor Day, good to see you today. If my sons walk in the room, they are not going to wait in line to talk to me. They're going to skip right past you and punch me as hard as they can in the stomach. Dad! What's up? They don't care that I'm the pastor of this church. Doesn't mean a hell of beans to them. They just know I'm their dad, so they can approach me however they want. And the truth of the matter is that's what God says. When we start to walk this out, when we start to get rooted, when we start to produce fruit, when we start to, 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 to debunk fear, we will start to live bold, loud, and out of tune, relationally connected to the king of the universe. And the byproduct of that is a life where we can stand for what's right. We can say what's true. We don't need people to agree with us. We just want to love people where they are and speak the truth to them in that love. And so we're able to, 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 to get that boldness, and the scripture says, in the day of judgment. And let's just be really clear. I have never met anybody who I felt like, you know, they don't believe in God. They don't, they don't believe, uh, you know, in faith or religion. And they've given me a good enough argument to go, you know what? On the day they have to stand before God, they're going to be pretty bold in their argument. And what I'm saying is this. No one on this side of the veil has enough mental capacity to when they actually have to stand before God and go, oh, man is going to be bold, right? The day of judgment is going to make everybody humbled really, really fast. That's what I'm trying to say. The day that we stand before God and we look upon him, no matter what we philosophized, what we've thought about, what we've believed on this side of the veil, when you get and God's up there and we're in line and we're, we're waiting for our, our efforts to be judged and, and the only hope you're going to have is to say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. No one is going to stand in that day bold in their works, in their thoughts, in their beliefs. You're going to be bold about one thing. What is that? Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. 
And if you're bold on the day of judgment, then you can be bold any other day. Why? Because that's really the only day that matters. That's why I think it was, uh, it was Chesterton or Billy Graham, one of them, they said, hey, at the end of the day, there's only two days that matters. There's this day and that day. This is the day that I've got to be accountable right now for my actions, for my behavior, for what I do. I can't change yesterday. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I'm, today matters. And that day that I stand before God matters. I don't know when it's going to be. It could be today, but I don't know. But the bottom line is that one matters a lot. And if I can find boldness in that day to go, don't look upon me, look at Jesus, like the scripture says, then it will give me boldness for this day. Because I can be, if I can be confident that day, certainly I can be confident in this day. Not in my own works, not in my own efforts, but in exactly what he's done and who he is and the love he has for me. That's why it says love has been perfected among us in this, that we will have boldness in the day of judgment. And then it continues. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not made been perfect in love. You see, we have that boldness, because that's who he, Jesus, is. It's what he's done. So when we start to, to see fear trickling in, we now have these places in our life where we can go, wait a second, am I not connected Am I looking at my efforts and not his? Am I, am I believing maybe something I don't know? Am I, am I knowing something I haven't believed? Have I not coupled them together in such a way as to go, man, I, I'm looking at Jesus and him alone and I'm abiding in him and I'm letting, I'm letting that start to generate fruit in me. I'm letting it be perfected in me, which is producing a boldness. You see, if I haven't been doing that, then it's no wonder fear starts to trickle in. But once we do that, the whole crux of today builds to this moment. We focus, we abide, we get perfected, we get changed to become more like him. And then, boom, fear has been no more. It has no place in our life. It has no, no room to exist we're looking at all the potential outcomes, all the possible problems, I'm not saying that doing this is going to, to then vanish the reality that like hard times are coming. But this book told us they were. Long before COVID, long before vaccines, long before fill in the blank, we knew hard times were coming and we're not exempt from them. But we can rest assured that he isn't wringing his hands in heaven going, how am I going to deal with this? Jeff, how am I going to handle this thing? How am I going to handle the decisions that are being made? How am I going to handle? Like, like we all could, could get some of this on us and let it reshape the way. Because what if the world looked upon the church and the church wasn't afraid of what's coming? but embraced it and loved people right where they are in the middle of it? What if the church became an actual place for healing to come? What if the church actually got a hold of this and people could start coming to church in the midst of all of this confusion and chaos? 
you start thinking like, wow, maybe God actually is on the throne. You see, because we have got to recognize, we have got to embrace that, that fear, worry, confusion around the potential outcomes, it's not our job. We could go back to the, the very thing that God said to, to Adam and Eve in the garden when they said, hey, we're naked and ashamed. And he said, who told you that? And I would challenge us all as a church today to, to lean back on that question. When we start to get angsty and, and terrified and, and, and we start to produce outcomes beyond outcomes beyond outcomes around a decision and, and something that hasn't actually happened yet, we need to ask the question, who told us that? Because fear is the belief in something that isn't real. That's why God says fear is a liar. It hasn't happened, so why am I living bound up by it? See, fear involves torment. He who fears hasn't been made perfect in love. You see, we have a boldness because it's who he is. And it's not by our strength. It's not by our might. It's not by our religious duties. Why is it? Verse 19, the final verse in our little chunk today. We love him because he first loved us. This isn't about what you've done. This isn't about what you do. This is about responding to the love God has bestowed on you, that you could be called a child of God, that he would, would see fit in his sovereign, overall, king of all, Lord of all. He saw fit to come to the earth in the, in, in the form of his son, to die and to be crucified to be born again and resurrected so that you wouldn't be, be punished, you wouldn't be, be forsaken, you wouldn't be lost. He saw fit not to do that for everybody else, but he saw fit to do that for you and 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 for me and all those kids in there. He saw fit to, to, to look at them and know the hairs on their head and say they're worth it. And if God is willing to do that for us so that we wouldn't lose our eternal home with him, who are we to, to fear in the face of a world gone mad? Don't you know he knew? Don't you know he knows? And it's in loving him that will be perfected, that will be shaped, changed, and molded to become the kind of people who can stand tall in the face of the actual real tribulation that's right in front of us. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we need you, we love you, and we honor you. Lord, without you, your word even tells us we can't do anything. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come now, that you would move in our midst, that you would shape us and mold us and push us toward this word that we would mull over it, think about it, study on it, pray over it, be like the Bereans, that, that we would go back to the scriptures and verify what's been said so that we could find the strength to be different, to be a city set on a hill, a light into a dark place. Lord, help us to look upon your love, to find boldness in the day of judgment, to be perfected by it.
and to remember it's not on our strength, but by your strength, because you first loved us, that we get to be a part of it anyways. We honor you, we thank you, and we surrender to you in the face of adversity, in the face of a world that's going crazy. We say, God, use us to shine your light bright. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you at the baptisms tonight, and I uh, can't wait to see you next Sunday.